Hi, I'm Kelsey. And I'm Sienna. And you're listening to End Yet. Conversations about the intersection of culture and health. Why do we go there? Because frankly, we need to. And we want you to know, we're with you. We all have a story we need to help unpack. But where do we fucking start? And where do we even end? Here's your permission to meet us in the messy middle. The And Yet Podcast with Sienna and Kelsey. Today's episode, we're going to talk about one of my favorite hot button topics, which is abortion. And I actually hate the word abortion. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. It's so like, it's just become so crusty, I think, with political and religious (laughs) righteousness. Yeah. That we're actually taking away from what it is, which is a medical procedure. Yeah, that's so true, actually. I hadn't really thought about it like that before. It is a yeah, it's a it's a word that pulls up a lot of emotions for for different people for sure. Right, for something that's actually very normal and yeah. very common and something that we've been doing since the dawn of time, which Sienna, how familiar are you with the history of abortion? <laughs> I'm going to say pretty unfamiliar. Okay. <laughs> so please tell yes. me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so this the history of abortion to me is one of the most fascinating things and if we're not going to cover it so much in this episode because that's not really what we're here to talk about today, but I would like to have a whole episode dedicated to this at some point. For sure, yeah. No, it's really fascinating. Yeah. Please, yeah. And if you're not familiar with it, definitely, definitely take a moment to do a little research. I think most people would be really blown away, actually, by the history of abortion and the outlaw of abortion in America and and so on. But so abortion for centuries was something that was actually very widely accepted And it wasn't until the late 1800s, around 1895, especially in America, that abortion became illegal. Holy crap, really? Yeah. Yeah. Which is not that long ago. I suck at math, but not that long ago. (laughs) Yeah, like not that many generations ago. Yeah. And even, and sorry, actually, 18, around 1895 is when the Catholic Church actually began to condemn abortion. But prior to that, the Catholic Church was quite supportive. Really? Um, Yes. Yes. So how did, <laughs> how did it become such a demonized issue then? So initially, women were allowed to determine the moment of what they called ensoulment, or sometimes it's called quickening. And that's when the woman could first feel movement from the fetus. So when it was completely up to a woman to decide when that moment was. Wow, that's such a beautiful term, yeah. hey? Insolment. Insolment. I mean, I, yeah. I feel like we should just continue to use that word. Now. Yeah, well, and it also really makes you look at the whole debate of life begins at conception. A hundred percent. Does life begin at conception? And really up until not so long ago, we did not believe that it did. Yeah, and yeah. as you say, it was up to the woman to determine that. Um, right. A feeling within herself, which I think really kind of is a bit of a crux of this whole debate, you know? Can you imagine a time where women were allowed to make decisions? <laughs> or oh my gosh. Where women were, were respected enough to, to decide when that moment would be. What a beautiful yes. utopia. <laughs> yeah, not that like things were so great in the early 1800s <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> and before, but, but we did have that going for us. So, mm-hmm. but as you know, we began to progress in obstetricians and I never say that word right, obstetricians. Is that not right? I don't know. Maybe it's right. I feel like I always say that word wrong. But when OBs became much more like the practice of of being an OB was becoming more widespread and there was more developments in science and, and the whole medical community, 
of course, was being led by men, primarily uh, white men. And those white men did not want to compete with midwives. And so there started to be this whole backlash to really prevent midwives from practicing. Wow, that's incredible. It really gives you a kind of sense of really how bizarre this is as a political issue. Exactly. And and that's where this to- topic for me becomes so heated because people just don't know what they're talking about. I'm sorry, I'm trying not to pound the table. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't know what they're talking about. And if you are going to have these strong opinions, fine, but you need to do your research and you need to understand why you're feeling a certain way and and why you're fighting for a particular cause, no matter which side you're on. Yeah. Yeah. Really good point. (sighs) Anyways, so (laughs) today we have the honor of speaking with a dear friend of mine, Sally. And Sally is a registered nurse. Sally and I just hit it off right away. I think you just sometimes you just, you know, we you just know. <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. totally see the connection between the two of you and the conversation. And I mean, you're both such cool people. <laughs> well, I don't know about Amazing that. Amazing advocates. But... No, seriously. Yeah, well, I really, I have so much respect for, for what Sally does and, and for her passion and drive and commitment to supporting people with uteruses, as she will say, <laughs> <laughs> and and just really protecting our rights here in America and allowing us to have these safe, clean facilities to go and and have these procedures when we need them. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm very happy that there are people like you in the world. Well, we're happy for you too, Sienna. (laughs) Oh, yay. (laughs) The other thing that I I kind of just wanted to mention prior to listening to the podcast is we do talk about some, some very sensitive topics in this, and there are going to be people with uteruses who are listening to this. It, It who may or may not have gone through this, maybe at different stages of the emotional process. And if you are feeling any unease or any kind of feelings where you just feel like I can't handle this right now, we really encourage you to turn us off. We won't be offended, <laughs> promise. Absolutely. Um, and just take it as you will. If you come back to it when you're in a different place, wonderful. If you don't, that that's absolutely fine as well. Yeah, I I think self-care is so important whenever you're doing any type of activism work and also when you are working through your own emotional growth or working through your own trauma. So I, yeah, turn us off if you need to. Totally fine. Hey, Sally. Hi. Thank you for joining us today. Of course, of course. Happy to be here. So you just worked a full day. I did. And you came to be on this podcast, which is pretty amazing. You're amazing. Yes. It, was, it was like totally administrative. Mostly, not totally, but mostly. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your dual roles at the clinic? Day to day, I spend a lot, like if it's just an administrative day, I'm sending prescriptions, checking over charts, making sure like patients are being seen in the appropriate way, getting to the right providers kind of boring things, but they're important parts to getting things moving smoothly. Giving on-call advice to patients who are post-abortion or maybe coming for their appointment soon and answering questions, you know, explaining what's normal, what's not, just those sort of things. And so, sorry, just to kind of back up a little for, I'm a real layman, so excuse yeah. my ignorance. <laughs> who do you see? Who are the patients that come through the door? We see people of all ages, specifically for abortions. You know, not very many under 16, but we certainly do until like, I think 
47, mm-hmm. you know, patients from all backgrounds, religions, races, where I work specifically is very diverse. And I do like appreciate that getting to see like the whole rainbow and the whole spectrum. Everyone seeks abortions. Yeah. And is that kind of diversity of it? Is that because we're here in New York or do you just think it's, as you say, it's something that impacts every I mean, I think that being in New York certainly has something to do with it. But again, I think that every, yeah, everyone seeks out abortions. So I work or I volunteer as a doula at an abortion clinic. And I knew that every walk of life experiences abortion. I mean, I think that, you know, there's nobody's exempt from needing these procedures. One thing that really surprised me, though, is how many women already have children, which now in hindsight is not surprising at all. But I don't think people realize the statistic is about 59 percent of women who receive abortions already have children. And you had mentioned that you think that it's it's actually a higher percentage of women that come into clinic for the procedure. Maybe you can describe to us a little bit of the different options that you have. I think that 59% is probably accurate. I do think that mothers are more likely to seek an abortion just because they kind of understand the implications of what raising a child is for your community and, you know, for your family. There's two two types of procedures. You can have a medication abortion and then what's called a surgical abortion. The medication abortion, you come in, we give you a pill, and then the next day at home, you take four pills to help the pregnancy pass. Is that, is that painful? You know, every woman experiences it differently. And if there's a scale, you know, of 100 women, some of them are going to have the worst pain of their lives. Most, some of them are going to experience no pain at all. And usually it's somewhere in the middle. It depends on where you're at gestationally. And it's very common to have, like, menstrual-like cramps. We provide pain medication right. for the patients oh, at home. Mm-hmm. Where a surgical abortion, it's much less scary than that implies. There's no cutting or scraping. It's... Mm-hmm really gentle dilation of the cervix and then the removal of the pregnancy with a straw. With a straw? With a straw? It's, it's called a curette, but sometimes we describe it as a straw because it's so small. Wow. No, that does give you a much more visceral picture. Which yeah, I think the word surgical abortion, people like really imagine some scary things, but it's a lot more gentle than I think we know. So in that being said, I think that's why mothers are so much more likely to opt for the surgical procedure, just because they've had speculum exams before, they've delivered, they're, they're a little bit used to that clinical environment where, you know, if someone is having their first pregnancy, it might seem more appealing to take a pill, go home, do it on your own, be in your yeah. own space. Yeah, yeah and, thought about it like and as a mother, I think, too, you know, if you have children at home, you might also just feel more comfortable knowing that you're kind of away from that space and, and you can go and have the procedure and then you can go home and, and kind of yeah. start your life again. Right. Yeah. So based on both of your experiences in your various areas of work, what are some of the range of emotions that you've experienced with patients? You know, often we tell them that it's normal to have every emotion. I think that the most common is relief. Right. Which sounds fair. Fair. I, you know, and I think coming into when I was a fresh green abortion nurse, I expected a lot more angst. Yeah. And what I witnessed rather was like a lot of relief. Yeah. This has been something that was on their mind for, you know, maybe a few weeks, maybe several days. And they come in, they have a medical issue, and we take care of it, and they're able to, like, leave with that medical issue solved, which is really a relief. Well, I think there's there's so much 
whenever I'm in a room with a patient waiting for the doctors to arrive, they're often asking a lot of questions and it's the anticipation that's, that's actually far worse than the procedure itself. So I think sometimes after the procedure, it's just like, okay, it wasn't as bad as I thought and this is over and, and now I can kind of move on to my next emotion or my next feeling. Yeah, I think a lot of times those who feel relief, they might have some of those other feelings come later. And by other feelings, I mean, you know, maybe feeling sad or frustrated or a little bit of grief. But also there are feelings of being pretty happy, too, that come. And what I think we see most often is a lot of ups and downs. In my job, I also follow patients post-procedure, especially if they needed, like, lab tests to verify the pregnancy was, you know, completely terminated. When they get that call where we get to say, like, it's done, you don't have to come back, you're done, it's a really nice feeling to hear the relief in their voice and that they're done and they get to move on. And you spoke about the anticipation prior to this, you were talking about there's a certain length of time that you're more or less forced to wait. Can you talk a little bit about that and what impact that can have on, on that emotional process? Are you referring to specifically waiting for the physician to arrive or are you talking more about like laws that laws that are, yeah. Well, and actually I have a question about that too. So is that true in every state that, that you have to wait a period of time yeah, yeah, no, that's not true in New York. No, New York has like pretty great uh, laws in ex- in terms of accessibility to abortion care, but there are certainly states that are a lot more. It's a lot more difficult to access an abortion. I want to say Utah. Don't quote me on it. Someone can figure it out. Um, <laughs> we can put that in our show notes. We'll we'll do all the research for sure. Yeah, but I think you know you, there you may have to wait a period of like you know five to ten days after having your like evaluation after getting a sano blood tests, which is really silly and probably not great for the emotional process. I was doing reading that 90% of women, when they have to wait that 10-day period or whatever it is, 90% of them are still sure that that's, that's what they want to do. I think that that's accurate for patients who arrive and don't wait. 10% probably go home and don't go through with it all the way because we have excellent counselors mm-hmm. who are able to spot when they aren't ready to make this decision or don't want to. So I, I think the statistics would not change whether they had to wait or not. I think what that only does is keep this on their mind, this problem. They know what they want, and now they have to deal with, you know, maybe morning sickness while they're, they have kids or they're at school or, you know, whatever. I think that makes, like, the grief and the struggle a lot more difficult. Yeah, exactly. That I mean, honestly, that statistic actually surprised me. But I, now that I think about it, it makes sense. And I think it says a lot about how society interprets what women go through and the reality of what the women go through. Like, it's, I mean, <laughs> they're trying to... I, People who seek out abortions are sure of their decision. They are more sure than people who are opting for knee surgery, which is a statistic I was like very shocked by when I read. I mean, I kind of felt, of course, that's true, but people are more uncertain about having to get their knee operated on or starting antidepressants or any other medical therapy. But women or people who seek abortion in general, they don't even make that appointment unless they want it. Yeah, and also I would really like to point out that nobody's using abortion as birth control, <laughs> which comes up all the time and drives me crazy. And if women are, I'm sure it's such a small number, but typically, you know, these things happen. We're human. It's, mm-hmm. it's 
bound to happen to mm-hmm. a pretty wide range of us. And yeah, 20, that makes me so angry. Like that's a quarter of the female population right. go through this. Right. Like, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah, it's not for it's not because they it's easier than being on birth control. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I certainly yeah. don't think that that happens. Like people want to say it does. However. I am of a more radical school of thought where I feel like if somebody is uncomfortable with every method of birth control and it's not easy for them to have safe sex and abortion is their way of not being pregnant, then that's their right. And it's their body. You know, I I like that argument, but like to say like people don't use it as birth control, but it also like there's probably that very, very rare percent, whether they're like there's like no way for them to get access if they're in like an abuse situation or right. if there, there are like places in the world where like access to birth control is really expensive and it's actually cheaper for them to have like a MBA or a mechanical surgical procedure. Who are we to judge if we're, they're bringing absolutely. down their period at, you know? I agree completely. Good yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I think a lot of it is that it's trusting women to make and families, I shouldn't just say women, but it's trusting them to make the decision that's right for them. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, why? what's wrong with that? Like, yeah. why can't we just trust people to make the decision that is right for them? Right, yeah. People, like, people know what they need. We need to, like, really put our trust in our patients and in our communities. But, I, you know, that's not how it always goes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm trying really hard to not turn this into rage or just a political debate because that's <laughs> not really the point of this particular yeah. episode. But it's hard not to. It's really hard not to. Yeah. yeah, it's hard not to feel very heated discussing this topic. But I think what's really important is that for any of our listeners who have either experienced this themselves or maybe are going to experience it or have loved ones that have experienced it, I think we just really want to provide validity for them to have this range of emotions or to make a decision that's really hard and still feel really sad about it. That's something I tell a lot of patients who are feeling sad that they're in the position they're in. Of course, we've asked them a million times if this is what they want and they, you know, if they're still there. But when they're having that like kind of like sorrowful moment, I, I try to remind them that like, listen, it's totally normal to know something is right for you and still not be happy about it. Lots of women or and people <laughs> seek abortions. I find it really important not to use gendered language. Um, people who are, yeah, it's hard. We we're raised in this society that's so binary. Anyway, I say it's really, it's okay to feel sad and to feel angry and to feel just conflicted over a choice that you feel you've had to make and still know it's the right decision for you. I mean, we, we make choices like that all the time. Absolutely. When we move for jobs right? And we have breakups, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to like do some of these things, but we know it's the right choice for us. And it's okay to, to A, be sad that you're having an abortion. I, I think there's a lot of expectation with this crazy political atmosphere that, well, if you pick an abortion, you should be happy about it. You should be like, this is your choice. If you're sad, then that's a sign that Abortion is wrong. It's absolutely not true. So what do you feel, reaction to that, what do you feel like the the grief and the loss, you know, it's not necessarily about you grieving a loss of life. Is that that fair to say? Like what do you think the feeling of loss is about? I think that's a great question. I'm excited to hear what Kelsey has to say. (laughs) Personally, what I have seen with folks who have had abortions or are looking for them, I think the grief comes from 
a place of, there's a few different places. One, feeling sad that they found themselves in that position. Grief on sometimes like the reality of what it means to be an adult in this world, having to kind of close a chapter. You know, you're making big decisions now. You know, an abortion is a big decision. I mean, people who find themselves pregnant often grieve the end of their childhood. People who lose their virginity often grieve when they realize that this is some, you know, whether it's social, socially constructed or not, like this is something that is like feels changed in me now. I, you know, so I think there's a grief. That's really insightful. Yeah. I really oh my gosh. So about powerful. It. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a big part of it. And then I also like, I think there's a lot of fear out there that you have an abortion and you're not going to be able to get pregnant again, or, you know, are you choosing the right life for you? You can never know anything a hundred percent. No one's psychic. So we do our best, but you definitely have to grieve like the idea that you, you know, are going to have a baby. So my now husband at the time, we were only about eight months into our relationship and we got pregnant by mistake and Mm -hmm. we chose to have an abortion. And it's really interesting what you said, because I did feel a lot of this like transition into a whole new chapter of my life, (laughs) I guess is the best way to think of it. So when we were having this experience, I remember a very close friend of mine asked me if I couldn't get pregnant in the future, would I regret making this decision? And it's interesting because now I am five years into the future and I am trying to get pregnant and we are having a difficult time (laughs) and I still do not regret making that decision. It's really interesting because now I've sort of come to a place in my life where I feel like even if a child doesn't come through me, I'm really open to a child coming to me. That's a be- beautiful way. Yeah. Of that. And it comes back to the certainty. Like you knew at that time in the circumstance it was not right. Exactly. My and husband and I would now. not be together now. I, I know for certain in that point in our relationship had we gone through with it. And I wouldn't be working as a doula and I wouldn't be doing this podcast. And there's just so many things that have aligned because I made this decision But at the time, I was 27, and I felt really guilty that at 27, I couldn't Mm – I felt like teenagers are doing this. Yeah. (laughs) I would love to talk about that, too. I Okay, so when I was a green abortion nurse just starting out, I really thought that the people who were having abortions were teenagers who found themselves in bad situations, people who were, like, maybe, you know, homeless at the time or struggling or whatever. All true. All of that is very true. People – have these experiences because they're in a tough situation, but sometimes it's happening because they want to be in a place in their life where they feel they can raise a family. And right now having a child is not the best way to do it. Whether it's because they aren't where they want to be in their career, whether they need like some mental health services to get themselves sorted out or their relationships really new and they want to give it time to breathe. I think a lot of our society has made us feel like abortion is only appropriate when there are dire situations and you're young. But women and people have abortions, whether they're young or, you know, coming to the end of their reproductive years because they choose what's right for their community. Abortions can be an extremely selfless act. And I see it all the time. All the time. After I had my night, I actually went into therapy like immediately after. My my experience was actually kind of traumatic just because of my health. But I went to therapy right after and I needed that therapy regardless of this situation. And I feel like 
now when I do finally have children, I don't know, I just think my, I'm in such a different mental state now to raise a new life, yeah. whereas then I think it would have been really hard for all of us involved. Right. Yeah. I guess I can speak from my personal experiences. I was a teen mom. Now those girls are... Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're 11 and 9. Oh, wow. By the way, Teen Mom is my absolute favorite reality TV show and I have watched it from teen mom to like 10 years now these kids are and I'm like completely invested I think I've seen a few episodes but I I feel like I need to invest it's incredible I have you know there's so much there is too much TV to watch I lived it and it's not as glamorous as they make it seem Um, (laughs) that being said it was like a serious struggle it took me a lot longer to go to school I had to drop out of college how old were you? I was 18 when I got pregnant Mm-hmm. I married their dad, who's great, but we were young and stupid, and we struggled through that relationship because we were teenagers and not ready for children, but now we have two beautiful babies. However, I think about the whole scenario you're discussing when I think about, like, should I have kids now? Like, in a few years when I'm older and I have had therapy and <laughs> a good job and what that will mean for those children as well. Yeah. And I feel so sad sometimes that I won't be able to provide or I wasn't able to provide that sort of foundation for the girls I have right now. Of course, obviously I don't re- you know regret having them. That's where I was at at the time, but I do wish I could have provided a lot more to them. Like I'll be able to when I decide to have more children. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I think it's really important that we change the dialogue around abortion because it's not a right or wrong decision. It's a you make a decision and then you make it right, really, is I, how I thought of it at the time, at least. And Cheryl Strait writes really beautifully about this concept, but it's it's this idea of you board one ship and you wave goodbye to the other ship. And that's really all that it is when we have to make – there's never this, like, aha moment. There's never this – I know without a shadow of a doubt that this is the right path for me. It's you make a decision mm-hmm. and it becomes the right path for you. Right. That's why we're pro-choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. why it doesn't mean we think that every situation fits into a certain algorithm and that makes you that means you should have an abortion or that means you should you know carry a, a pregnancy to term. We have choices. We get to decide what chip is right for us. I love that metaphor. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And she writes about it so much more eloquently. But <laughs> it's a, I remember for me during that time, it was really helpful to read. Yeah. 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 If you don't mind me asking, and we can totally cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go through a similar kind of emotional pathway of maybe relief and then grief? Or how did that how did you process? Yeah. It? Well, for me, my experience was really unique. I actually did two aspiration or surgical procedures and two rounds of, I never say it right, the miso. Yeah. I, I think it's pronounced differently, like depending on who says it. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. So my body, I think because of my endometriosis, had a really difficult time releasing the tissue. So the moment that it released was relief <laughs> for yeah. sure, yeah. but instantly followed by grief. Oh, yeah. yeah. So for me, it was a That's pretty a tough... dark period of time, but not grief that I regret. Like, I, I think it's really clear that I keep reiterating. Like, it... well, do you now go and support and volunteer to help other women go through this? Yeah. Thing? And at the time, too, I think there's like a really interesting thing that happens to us when we are in our late 20s. 
So before, like just a few months before it happened, my grandmother passed away. And then one of my very close friends who I was living with moved to the West Coast. And then this happened. And it was just like, I was kind of dealing with loss, just like on a, I was just floating in space for a while. So maybe that's part of why the grief was so substantial for me. But I also have always wanted children. And, and so I think that was part of it, too. And I'm just going to bring it right back to the I, I made the right decision and I was completely stricken with grief. And yeah. Yet. And yeah. <laughs> and, and yet here I am talking to you, having this amazing conversation. Yeah. And yeah. helping other women at that. So thank you. Both of you guys are amazing. <laughs> but I think it's also important because what you said you witness at work and even what I've witnessed as a doula is this topic is called permission to grieve your abortion. And I think that's really important. But I think it's also needed to say that it's okay if grief isn't part of the equation for you and that doesn't make you bad or any less wrong for feeling your experience yeah yeah a lot of it is how you know what where we come from what, what social background we are class religion how our culture views uh community and family is a huge part of it i think some people certainly come from backgrounds where people make decisions for themselves a lot more. And then other people come from backgrounds where you do what you have to to make things run smoothly for your community. And sometimes that means having an abortion. Yeah. And as you say, that that's a selfless act, right. I think. Kind of continuing with that train of thought, if society didn't stigmatize going through an abortion like the way it does, what impact do you think that would have on the individuals and as a society in general? This is a big question. <laughs> I think it would be amazing. I think it would be amazing. If society didn't stigmatize abortion, God, I think that there would be less abortions because we'd have greater access to birth control because of so much stigma around birth control where some people are acting as though that is a form of abortion as well. Some One of our, like, political, you know, enemies yeah. <laughs> was recently comparing birth control to abortion, which it is not the same thing. The pill, so strange. Okay, back to the question. If if it wasn't stigmatized, I think that our emotional, I think we would be allowed to grieve more. I think we would be allowed to be happy. I think that we would get to kind of go through abortion as a rite of passage. One in four people with uteruses are having, um, are having abortions. And it used to be one in three. With, but with like IUDs and more access to birth control, that's gone down. But in a way, if you think about that, one like a quarter of people having abortions, that's a rite of passage. That's like a huge event that a huge population part of our population goes through. If there was no stigma, like that would be something that would be openly discussed. It would be there would be systems in place for us to help people get through this process. Yeah. Just like when someone has a baby and we're able to you know, bring them soup at home and buy them like, you know, gifts and cook them food and all this wonderful things we get, we would be able to do in the same way. I kind of think about that too a lot when we think about menstruation. Yeah. You know, right? The red tent. The red tent, right? (laughs) Like we, every, you know, we all get our period, but it's like stigmatized. Yeah. There's like this secrecy of kind of like celebrating it, especially in certain cultures, like when you get your period and what that means for you. But that also comes with a little bit of grief for a lot of people too, right? When you bleed, you're, you know, mature now, right? That's what we're told. So there's a grief that comes with that. And I think that we would have a lot more 
set in place if we just stopped stigmatizing abortion and bleeding in general. (laughs) Well, and I love what you're saying because it's reminding me that when I am a doula for those procedures, I often, to me, it actually feels like this very ancient, I don't know, like the term to put it in, but I, it's, so you've got your patient in the middle and then there's me on one side, there's a nurse on the other side, there's a doctor down below and it's this circle around this patient Mm -hmm. and it just feels like this very like wise and spiritual moment. Yeah. And I think people don't realize that they think of these clinics as this like murderous, monstrous flickering lights and yeah, I'm not going to lie that. That is yeah, it's it, well, well, we built it up to it. be really dark and scary, and there's actually so much love and support and mm-hmm. and care that happens in those moments. That it's probably why, actually, part of the reason why I get really emotional when I when I do these shifts because there's just so much of this energy that you don't realize. And I always say that I'm not necessarily a religious person in this way, but I always feel like the people that protest outside in God's name, I actually feel like God's inside with us in these moments and. Sorry. Okay, sorry. sorry. Just getting a cue from Jenny over here. Beautiful. I was like, maybe I'm not supposed to say yeah. God. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, okay. no I, I love that, though. I do think that there is, like, the range of emotions is a spirit. Like, being able to experience a whole range of emotions, whether you're getting your first period, having an abortion, having a baby, it is spiritual practice, mm-hmm. especially when you are joined with, like, other people. So I totally feel that same way when I'm in a procedure room, when a patient's having an abortion, they're being so supported. Their physicians, there talking them through the whole thing or giving them whatever they need. Some people don't want to hear anything, but a lot of our patients want to just be given like a step-by-step guide. We have the doula handholding. Everyone is like so loving and supportive. It's a real almost like loving ritual. It's, it's like being in the red tent, I think, mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah. Interestingly enough, in Australia, we don't really even use the word doula. I think it's actually more equated to a midwife. So maybe for people from kind of different cultures, different backgrounds, can you explain what is the role of an abortion doula? Thank you for asking. Great question. (laughs) So actually, in some facilities, they won't use the term doula and and they call a support person. And that's really what a doula is. And you're there to, I always tell the patients that I'm not medical staff. I'm literally just there to hold their hand if they would like that. I think somebody once described it as a doula is like water. And we're kind of there to morph into what the patient needs from us in that moment. So typically it's waiting with the patient as they're getting into their gown and waiting and just kind of, I mean, honestly, we talk about Netflix, like in Chipotle all the time. Yeah, seriously, right? What are you you having for lunch? Everyone loves Chipotle. It's true. I feel like Chipotle is always the number one answer. But yeah, you're... (laughs) We're giving them a little... Yeah, but you're there just to kind of read what they need in that moment. Sometimes I act a little bit as a liaison between them and the doctor if they're not speaking up or maybe they need clarity or just kind of asking the doctor to reiterate what they said. I'm, I'm never filling in for medical staff. But... And then it's just... Yeah, it's just... It's just being there for somebody. Well, yeah. I mean, again, both of you, it's it's incredible. And, and it's so, again, as a lay person who hasn't really experienced this before, it's so wonderful to hear that it's such a supportive environment. It really, I mean, it's amazing. When I had my procedure, that was my, honestly, my biggest takeaway from the whole thing was how kind people were to me. And I went to like a swanky Upper East Side facility because my husband could afford it. Not everybody has that opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) And I I remember thinking at that time how lucky I was to live in a city where I had that access. 
But what inspired me to then go on to be an abortion doula myself was just how kind people were. Yeah. And how do you both deal with your own emotional takeaways? Kelsey, you mentioned that sometimes you just on a monthly basis, sometimes you need to go home and cry and let it out. Yeah, I cry after almost every shift. <laughs> it's a lot. One, it's it's two reasons. One, it's it's really hard to watch people be in so much physical and emotional pain. I shouldn't say that, well, it is sometimes physically painful for women. So it's a very heavy situation, but also I cry because I'm just so moved by the care that I see and witnessing that kind of love. And this is not in a swanky yeah. one either. Like I, you know, have known where you do your doula work, even these nonprofit organizations, we take the best care of our patients. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I think I cry because I'm mad. Like I'm just angry that like people still feel bad or feel guilty or that there are now things that are threatening this access. And yeah, so it's a lot of, it's a big range of emotion, but I do it once or twice a month. And then, I mean, I think about it. I think about these patients all the time. I don't know if you do because you see them every day, but. My always- partner jokes that like, mm-hmm. I talk about abortion 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's why I kind of want to hear how, how you handle it. because I talk about it. I like talk about my anger. So I don't have a much of a difficult time with the work itself. I get emotionally tired where I maybe don't want to socialize a lot or I need like an hour before I go out, not because I was sad or hard or it was just because holding that ritual, that circle all day is really tiring. And you're on your feet. And you're on your feet. You're not eating or drinking. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. But for me, my anger and sadness and like struggle and why I talk about it 24-7 comes from threats when there are protesters outside. Recently, we've been getting a lot more, and really? they've been a little bit... I mean, I don't know. I'm yeah. surprised by that, to be honest. Yeah, a little bit more creepy. It feels really creepy. They're often men, and to me, it is so strange. Male-presenting figures standing in, like, this very judgmental fashion outside while you're, like, going to get your birth control or, like, to have your abortion. And that makes me, like, pretty angry. I have a really hard time being staff. I'm not allowed to talk to them. Sometimes I, like, daydream about, like, the day I resign and, like, just walking outside and just being like, screw you, screw you, find a hobby, (laughs) right? Like, I just want to tell them off so bad. All I can say is, you need to be 15 feet away from the door. That's all I get to say, you know? I had a nurse tell me one time that her mother protests and that she actually had to lie to her mother about what location she works at so that her mother's not protesting at her location. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which is just, like, wild, but... I mean, but, but, and you talk about how you guys sort of develop humor and kind of dark humor sometimes to mm-hmm. maybe a little bit as a coping mechanism. But, totally. but I remember her like having some pretty interesting humor around that. It's true. I mean, I, I think we do that. I think all medical professionals sort of end up developing a dark sense of humor. I've worked not only in, I worked in high risk pregnancy clinics before, which was fun. And we definitely had those moments. I've worked in medical oncology where I've had those experiences as well where we, you know, I think being in the medical profession itself can be really draining because you are dealing with emotions all day long as well as technical things. I think developing like kind of a sixth sense of humor is kind of helpful, (laughs) you know, that and just like kinship with your coworkers. Kinship, that's a beautiful way of describing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Sally, thank you so much.
for coming Thank today you. and having Thanks this having really me. meaningful conversation. And I think we probably only scratched the surface really of, of how deep and impactful this type of conversation is. It was really eye-opening though, like just even hearing the ins and outs and how open you you were. I really hugely appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, and I think for any of our listeners, I mean, we really just want you to hear that we see you, I think, you know. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're allowed to experience your abortion however your body, your mind, your heart feels, and that's okay. We trust your decision. We're going to support you no matter what you decide. We are going to be there for you if you are just about to go through with it and decide you change your mind. We're going to pack up you up, get your clothes on, hang out with you until you're ready to go and you can leave. Or we're going to stay with you after your procedure and talk to you and make sure you've got someone there to pick you up. And we're going to be there for you. We we support you. Is there one last piece of advice you might have for any woman who's maybe kind of wading through the waters of, of what she's feeling right now? A woman or family. or If you're a person who's just had an abortion and you're struggling with the feelings you're having afterwards, I want to give you permission to feel those things. And that's okay. And Permission to grieve your abortion. Yeah. Be, like, be as like permissive with yourself as possible. Allow yourself to be like totally thrilled and happy and ready to just start your new life. But also to grieve what that other ship had for you and what this new ship you're on is like, be so gentle and like talk to someone. It's really important. And we can do that for you. Oh, so beautiful. Good on you that guys. was, oh my God, that was so beautifully <laughs> said. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So. You're welcome. We hope you enjoyed this episode. How lucky are we that we get to chat to these mega talented folks? I think we're pretty fucking lucky. Hell yes. So if you happen to like it too, share it with your mates and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. And don't forget, the conversation doesn't end here. We would love to hear from you. What did you think of today's episode? What else do you want to talk about? Yeah, what kind of conversations are you having? Or maybe what conversations aren't you having? Yeah, good point. Anyway, until next time. Bye. Bye.